0: The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network, Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Like the world has never seen. This is Thursday, August 10th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this free independent news when you use and bookmark the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Welcome to the dog days of summer and thank you for allowing me a week off to be with family. I'm up to speed and ready to share. When the president called Trump used the words like the world has never seen, he could be talking about his own words. The world has never seen this kind of rhetoric from a U.S. president. It's seen it from the young dictator of North Korea, but never from a U.S. president. Trump, however, publicly threatened nuclear war on North Korea this week in a situation that's already dicey. So now there are two of them, two fiery world leaders threatening fire when what they mean is nuclear weapons. What could possibly go wrong? It would appear that a lot could go wrong, even if it begins with a single accidental rifle shot. Here's what we know about a possible threat from North Korea. Japanese, South Korean, and some American intelligence believes North Korea now has nuclear weapons that will fit North Korea's long-range missiles. That news brought some big talk from Trump at an opioid crisis event when Trump said that if North Korea continues to escalate, it will, quote, face fire and fury like the world has never seen, adding, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which the world has never seen. It was another case of Trump catching his military and his advisers by surprise, since they were not consulted about his statement beforehand. North Korea, of course, responded, saying it was looking at a plan to strike near the U.S. territory of Guam, home of the U.S.'s Anderson Air Force Base. An attack on Guam would be a direct attack on the United States. Using Trump-like rhetoric, North Korea threatened Guam with a circle of fire, the new euphemism for nukes. It also indicates what U.S. intelligence also suspects that North Korea still doesn't have a missile guidance system to hit a precise target like Anderson Air Base. That might explain the circle of fire around Guam, as opposed to threatening a direct hit. And we don't yet know whether North Korea has the kind of heat shield needed to protect a nuclear payload as it re enters the atmosphere but we know North Korea has other missiles and other weapons to attack U.S. allies and the Americans in those countries so close that long-range nuclear missiles wouldn't be necessary to start a new world war. So were the president's words reckless bloviating or part of some administration strategy? Probably not strategy, frightening as that is, Here's a recent timeline of Trump administration policy on North Korea. During the campaign, Trump called Kim Jong-un a smart cookie and said he'd be honored to meet Kim someday. Three weeks ago, Trump's CIA director said the U.S. wants Kim out as North Korea's leader. Last week, Trump's Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said the U.S. does not want regime change in North Korea. Later, Tillerson said the U.S. would hold talks with North Korea if it would result in North Korea abandoning its nuclear program. Earlier this week, Tillerson invited talks with North Korea if that country would stop with its missile launches. But Trump's vice president, Mike Pence, announced there would be no talks with North Korea under any conditions. Chaos, And then came the news about North Korea's miniaturized nuclear warhead and Trump's response of fire and fury and North Korea's response of, we're planning to drop some bombs near Guam. Many Americans, especially the people of Guam, but Americans in general were frightened by all this and said so out loud. Some may have had a restless night and woke up to a Trump tweet that the U.S. nuclear arsenal is, quote, now far stronger and more powerful than ever before. But it wasn't until late morning here, after the people of Guam had gone to bed with that, that Secretary Tillerson reemerged with words of assurance that North Korea does not pose an imminent threat and that, quote, Americans should sleep well at night. Traditionally, reassurance comes from the President of the United States, not from the Secretary of State. The governor of Guam urged his people not to panic. Good luck with that. Especially when Defense Secretary James Mattis then weighed in, saying North Korea is risking the destruction of its people and the end of Kim Jong Un's regime if it doesn't stand down. And then there's Trump's spiritual advisor, megachurch pastor Robert Jeffress, who says the president has the moral authority to kill the North Korean leader. In the case of North Korea, says Jeffress, God has given Trump authority to take out Kim Jong Un. And then there's the president with the itchy Twitter finger. Sleep tight. Tillerson says it's okay. This week, China instructed North Korea to stop its testing of intercontinental ballistic missiles. It was the sternest language yet from Beijing. And China did not object when the United Nations Security Council voted to punish North Korea with new sanctions for violating weapons treaties. Russia also abstained. Led by and including the U.S., 13 of those 15 Security Council countries voted for these tough new sanctions. The new sanctions cut off a third of North Korea's export business, a gut punch further isolating it in the world. The sanctions truly put the North in a bind, forcing it to choose between continuing its mischief or keeping its rich supporters happy. North Korea responded with the usual sound and fury, promising to retaliate thousands of times over and promising what it calls physical action. China is urging both sides to stay cool in what it calls a delicate situation, experts don't believe diplomacy will work with Kim Jong-un. Tougher sanctions and the disapproval of China are actually our best hopes at the moment, short of a horrific war. In the meantime, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un are playing life and death chicken with nukes. But the tough talk isn't working either. North Korea still doesn't want to talk. North Korea now says it'll be ready to strike the waters around Guam with four missiles no later than August 15th and will await an order to fire. From their commander in chief, Kim Jong un, saying that force is the only language Trump understands. Yesterday, by the way, was the 72nd anniversary of the U.S. atomic bombing of Nagasaki, Japan. Meanwhile, the search for truth about a possibly compromised presidency continued, and a lot was learned, and a lot of it is stunning, and a lot of it is encouraging for those who want the truth. Just yesterday, we learned that in the before sunrise hours of Wednesday, July 26, without warning, FBI agents working with special counsel Robert Mueller and armed with guns and warrants raided and searched the Alexandria, Virginia home of former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. They awoke him by knocking on his bedroom door, reportedly. That pre-dawn raid came the day after Manafort had met voluntarily with the staff of the Senate's Intelligence Committee, and it was the same day he was to testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee. They were there for documents, electronic and printed, possibly pertaining to Russia's assault on the presidential election, but also came away with documents that could be used to build a case for Manafort's possible violation of banking secrecy laws, money laundering, But they also wanted Manafort's notes on the meeting he took with Don Jr., Jared Kushner, and a lawyer connected to the Russian government. Manafort, who wasn't expecting company at that hour, cooperated with the FBI agents who searched his home. But the surprise search is a clear sign that investigators don't trust that Manafort would turn over all the records subpoenaed by the grand jury. And to get even one warrant, Mueller and his agents had to convince a judge there was probable cause that a crime. Had been committed. The president's campaign manager's home has been raided by the feds. And while that sinks in, another piece of big news that for the past several weeks, special counsel Robert Mueller's been making use of a second grand jury, an existing grand jury in Washington, D.C. Mueller's also using one in Virginia to investigate Mike Flynn. A grand jury can do things a special counsel alone cannot. It can get emails and documents by court order or force if necessary. It can make witnesses appear and testify under oath. Documents and low-level witnesses are the places where prosecutors begin to build their cases to find out if what they suspect is true. The prosecutor, in this case Robert Mueller, lays out questions for the grand jury to consider, offering the evidence he has so far. He then suggests possible witnesses and documents the grand jury might want to see The jurors can make their own decisions, but the vast majority of what they know about a case comes from the prosecutor. And there are no defense lawyers to slow the grand jury's investigation, just a prosecutor and no Fifth Amendment. The witness can either tell the truth or go to federal prison if they get caught in a lie. The witnesses' stories can line up or not line up. The grand jury tries to figure out who, if anyone, is lying. In this case, the prosecutor is Mueller, who's investigating whether the Trump campaign worked with the Russians to hack the 2016 election campaign. It's Mueller time. Mueller's also investigating possible obstruction of justice, Trump business dealings with Russian companies, and more. Mueller's use of that D.C. grand jury began nearly a month ago now, and a CNN source says the grand jury has delivered subpoenas to people involved in that meeting Trump Jr. had in Trump Tower with the Kremlin lawyer and others connected to the Russian government. There were eight people in that meeting, including Donald Trump Jr., campaign manager Paul Manafort, and Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner. Don Jr. took the meeting eagerly, saying he'd love it if the meeting delivered some election dirt on Hillary Clinton, as promised, in an email. Emails will also likely be subpoenaed, if they haven't been already. Grand juries are sworn to secrecy, just like the prosecutor— But news always leaks from grand juries when they start delivering subpoenas to more and more people. There is no guarantee that any of this will lead to even a single indictment, but it shows that the Trump-Russia investigation has escalated to a new level, and it has the added bonus of making it a bit harder to fire Robert Mueller. Mueller's own investigation continues, meanwhile, now with the help of 16 lawyers specializing in In everything from fluent Russian to an expert witness flipper, there are specialists in white-collar crime, organized crime, and money laundering, and for good measure, a prosecutor from the Watergate days. Mueller's own investigation is now two months along. And there are bipartisan efforts in both houses of Congress to make it much harder for Trump to fire Bob Mueller. Republican Tom Tillis and Democrat Chris Coons in the House, Lindsey Graham and Cory Booker in the Senate, are all backing a special counsel integrity act that would only allow a president to fire a special counsel if a three-judge panel agrees. Trump's shown a propensity for firing and or bashing those who would investigate him, James Comey being the prime example. Quoting Lindsey Graham, any effort to go after Mueller could be the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. President number 45 said at first, He didn't know anything about the meeting between a Russian operative and his son, his son-in-law and his campaign manager. That claim is suspicious on many levels. The candidate was in Trump Tower at the time his top people met there with the Russians. Trump tweeted and promised that night in a speech he'd soon have more dirt on the Clintons, as promised in that email inviting the meeting. Was it the dirt his son had been promised by the Russians? That was the same night that Trump publicly invited Russia to hack and find Hillary's 30,000 missing emails. And then there's that possible obstruction of justice that Mueller's investigating. First, there were the firings, Deputy Secretary of State Sally Yates, who'd warned Trump about the compromised Mike Flynn, New York's U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, who was investigating Trump's business dealings with Russians, and FBI Director James Comey, who was investigating the Trump campaign, and General Flynn. Of Flynn, Trump told Comey, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go. Like Vladimir Putin, Trump has repeatedly called the multiple investigations fake news and a witch hunt. He's at least asked about firing Mueller. And then last week, we learned it was Trump who'd crafted his son's first public statement about the meeting with the Russians. The statement was not crafted by Don Jr., as the White House has said, or his attorneys, or any attorneys at all. It was crafted by Trump. The Washington Post says Trump's dictation of a misleading statement that the meeting was about adoptions suggests a cover-up. It shows the president of the United States was directly involved in crafting a smokescreen. And a smokescreen inspires a prosecutor to investigate obstruction of justice. So does lying to the public. Lying to the public isn't a crime, but lying to Congress is. So is lying to a special counsel's grand jury. Last month, Trump met privately with Vladimir Putin, a meeting not monitored by the usual officials and kept secret by the White House for 10 days. Although Trump has denied knowing any Russians, that's not what he said on the Hugh Hewitt show less than two years ago. I was with the top level people, said Trump, both oligarchs and generals and the top government people. I can't go further than that, but I will tell you I met the top people and the relationship was extraordinary, end quote. Trump had extensive business with Russians before the campaign. His son-in-law Jared has met with Russian officials at least four times since, and Jared failed to disclose those meetings until he was pressed on them. Trump campaign foreign policy advisor Carter Page was under several federal investigations for allegedly doing business with Russians in violation of the U.S. sanctions against Russia. Trump political consultant Roger Stone communicated with a well-known Russian hacker and WikiLeaks Julian Assange to get and publish dirt on Clinton. Russia has now retaliated for the overwhelming decision by the U.S. Congress to increase the sanctions on Russia and to make it harder for Trump to lift those sanctions. Russia's retaliation was the biggest diplomatic expulsion in world history. Nearly 350 Americans bounced. But more than 400 Russians lost their jobs in the process, maids, drivers, interpreters, clerks, and assistants who will have trouble finding work elsewhere because they worked at the U.S. Embassy. For days, Trump said or tweeted nothing about the biggest expulsion in history. Now, Vice President Mike Pence says the U.S. will respond by September 1st. Trump remains under investigation by the FBI and three committees in both houses of Congress, The Oversight Committee is now investigating how Trump's businesses have profited from taxpayer money, a look at how much federal agencies have spent at Trump businesses. Trump turned control of those businesses over to his sons, but continues to rack up profits from those companies. If there's one thing on which Trump depends, it's his base, the diehards who support him no matter what he says or does, no matter how many lies he tells or how big those lies are, Without that base, the Republicans in Congress will no longer back Donald Trump. Bad news for Trump. His base is shrinking. Trump is already, at six months' end, the single most unpopular president in recorded American history. At least 61 percent of us disapprove of his presidency. The Quinnipiac University poll puts Trump's overall approval at 33 percent, a drop of seven percent just in the past month or so. The poll shows Trump's demographic base. White voters without a college degree has also dropped. Half of the white men who voted for Trump now disapprove of his work. Two-thirds of the white women who voted for Trump now disapprove of him. A lot of people are having buyer's remorse. A CNN poll shows Trump's popularity among just Republicans has dropped from 73% to 59 Even the president's favorite poll, the conservative Rasmussen poll, has found his approval down to an all-time low of 38%. Among all the reliable pollsters, IBD puts Trump's approval at its lowest reading, 32%. A poll that averages all the polls, the 538 poll, puts Trump's approval at 37%. Barely a third of us approve of Trump. Nearly two-thirds of us do not. Nearly three-fourths of us do not trust Trump or the people in his White House according to that CNN poll. And talk about fake news, fewer than one in four Americans trust the words coming from the Trump administration. Three-fourths of us would like him to stay off Twitter. This week, Trump retweeted a Fox News story that contained classified information about what U.S. satellites had detected around North Korea. Trump retweeted that classified info despite a condemnation of the Fox report by Trump's own U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley. And the president had retweeted a leak, a leak of classified material. When it comes to leaking, no place does it better than the Trump White House, Despite all the railing against leakers by Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, it was Trump's own White House staff that leaked classified transcripts of phone calls Trump had had with foreign leaders. The transcripts revealed embarrassing things, at least embarrassing to a normal president. They revealed a bully who views New Hampshire as a drug-infested den and claimed he won that state even though he didn't. The transcripts reveal that Trump wants Mexico's president to play along with the narrative that Mexico will pay for his border wall. Trump told Mexico's president it doesn't matter who pays for the wall, but that to change his campaign narrative would make Trump look bad to his base. The only people with access to those transcripts, the only people who could have leaked them to the press, are senior White House officials and their staffs. And the president and the attorney general are right about one thing. Such leaks are dangerous because their publication makes world leaders shy about talking with Trump or any president for fear those conversations will be leaked as well. The leaks mean someone in Trump's White House wants so much for the truth to get out, they're willing to take that chance. So much for winning. Can a general quiet the chaos in the White House? That's in the second segment, along with updates on fake news, jobs, health care, immigration, climate change, and a bizarre attack on American diplomats. Plus a comment from Bob Seska after this. I love to surprise people, especially the people I love. And people love surprises, especially if they're good ones. This is a good one. Pro Flowers surprised me recently with a bouquet of beautiful fresh roses and it lasted for 7 days just like they promised really brightens up the place pro flowers can help you spring a bright surprise on someone you love and pro flowers has a surprise for you get 20% off any of their unique summer rose bouquets or any other bouquet priced at $29 or more if you can't decide go with the roses the roses are amazing guaranteed fresh for at least 7 days or your money back you pick the delivery date and take it from a longtime customer, Pro Flowers gives you more bloom for your buck. Big, beautiful flowers with long, healthy stems. Remember, 20% off summer roses or any other bouquet, $29 or more. Go now to proflowers.com. Use the code REALM at checkout. That's R-E-L-M, realm after the slash at proflowers.com. Surprise yourself with how you can surprise somebody else at proflowers.com realm. Can General John Kelly right the ship and bring military order to a chaotic White House? Trump's fondness for generals in civilian positions continues despite him saying he's smarter than generals. General Kelly is now the commander-in-chief's chief of staff. The idea is to bring order to chaos. Kelly's first act was to fire new White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci after a record-short 10-day tenure. Kelly also raised hopes when he reached out to Democratic leaders in Congress and when he told Congress he would speak truth to power in his new job. But Kelly has also dismissed as unimportant Jared Kushner's attempt to establish a back channel of communication between the transition team and the Kremlin. Kelly joked with the president about using a ceremonial saber on members of the press. Kelly has also defended Trump's travel ban and said he works for one man when really he works for the nation. Kelly has also made it clear he will not try to control the viewing habits of the president or Trump's Twitter finger. That's because no one can control those things, not even Trump. And the chaos that preceded John Kelly trickled down from the top. And now more news about fake news, the fake news that comes from Trump himself. Last week, we learned that the White House had worked with Fox News on a conspiracy story that even Fox News had to retract. It was about the unsolved murder of Democratic Party official Seth Rich, who was the victim of an apparently botched robbery attempt in DC. on July 10th last year. The Fox story suggested that Rich was murdered because he would or could implicate the Clinton campaign for colluding with Russians through a contact at WikiLeaks. Not a word of that is true, and Fox later retracted the story, saying it didn't meet its usual vetting criteria. The story had been concocted by Trump supporter and unpaid Fox contributor Ed Butowski, a wealthy Texas financier. The idea was to shift suspicion away from Trump. This false conspiracy theory made it on air at Fox News Channel even though it misquoted another Fox contributor, Rod Wheeler. Being misquoted in a false story was enough to make Wheeler quit and blow the whistle on all of this. NPR broke the story, reporting that former White House spokesman Sean Spicer had told Fox that Trump had reviewed the story and urged its immediate publication. Facebook doesn't want to be fake book. One week ago today, the social media site began offering alternative sources for news stories to help users better discern between real and fake news. And not just in the U.S., Facebook's doing the same in Germany, France, and the Netherlands, which have also experienced Russian election interference. Facebook says it'll leave fact-checking to the experts. It simply plans to offer multiple versions of a story, making sure reliable media appears alongside that which is suspect. Facebook will get help from the fact-checkers at Snopes.com. People were rightly worried with all the nuclear talk this week. Salon.com writer Bob Seska has been worried for a while now.
1: When Rust Belt voters stepped out of their voting booths after pulling the lever for then-candidate Donald Trump, I'd wager they never fully considered what those votes would precipitate. They had some ideas, and they were warned about what Trump might do if he actually won. But that's the thing. I don't think many Trump voters thought he'd win which is why they frivolously cast ballots for the ungainly Republican. So it's unlikely that a solid chunk of Trump supporters wanted him to, say, allow corporations to dump pollution and water supplies in coal-producing states or thwart physically abused seniors from suing their assisted living facilities. And one thing I'm almost sure they didn't want is a second war with North Korea, this time with its erratic leader, Kim Jong-un, threatening a nuclear strike against the American mainland. I'm not sure Trump's voters even process their own erratic leader's infatuation with nuclear weapons before voting for him. Doesn't seem like it. Any reasonable human knows that preemptively attacking the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, as Kim's state is officially known, would spell catastrophe for South Korea, Japan, and maybe even the American mainland. But on Tuesday, it appeared as though the United States and the DPRK moved one colossal step closer to just such an endgame. Of course, it'd be crazy not to blame Kim and his unpredictable bellicosity and increasingly provocative missile tests in all of this, obviously. But we also have to look at our own Mad King as well, and we have no choice but to wonder whether Pyongyang accelerated its nuclear weapons capabilities as a means of baiting our current president, whose weakness and and knee-jerk decision-making have been abundantly telegraphed not just to North Korea, but indeed to all of America's potential overseas enemies. Last December, during the presidential transition, I warned about the possibility that a foreign power, be it a nation-state or a terrorist group, might test Trump on his unearned bravado and unprompted nuclear saber-rattling. One of my biggest worries about Trump ascending to the White House stemmed from the Cuban Missile Crisis test. How would Trump have handled those 13 days in 1962 when the United States and the Soviet Union careened toward nuclear war, only to back away at the last minute? It's a question we should still be asking today. Indeed, throughout the campaign and into the transition, Trump's curiosity about using nuclear weapons, a terrifying thing in and of itself, became a regular feature in covering the future president. You might recall how Trump stupidly and recklessly wondered out loud why we never use our nuclear weapons. To make matters worse, he added a layer of idiocy to his nuke-curious posture when he revealed during a GOP debate that he didn't know what the nuclear triad was. In response to Hugh Hewitt's question, Trump seriously replied, quote, To me, I think nuclear, the power, the devastation is very important to me. Huh? Yeah, this is uh, the doofus who might become the first president since Harry Truman to launch a nuclear weapon. So naturally, when the leader of the big superpower on the block is this easily baited and this profoundly uneducated about the ethics and responsibilities inherent in possessing a vast nuclear arsenal, are our enemies more or less likely to test this president? The only answer is... More likely. And that's precisely what Kim Jong-un is doing right now. On Tuesday, the president, who a year ago didn't understand the three primary launch platforms for our nuclear arsenal, said this, quote, North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Trump's apocalyptic remarks followed a report indicating that the DPRK now had the capability to deploy a miniaturized warhead on a medium-range missile. If this is Trump's version of a line in the sand, he's risking a hell of a lot. If Pyongyang steps over that line, what does he do? Does he make good on his threat, or does he back off? The former would precipitate certain warfare and potentially hundreds of thousands of dead civilians on the Korean Peninsula alone. The latter would make Trump appear even weaker than he already is. In the Cuban Missile Crisis Test, Trump might have just failed on his first move, right out of the gate. And then Pyongyang responded, not with an attack or an escalation, but with a severe threat of a missile attack against the U.S. territory of Guam in the Pacific Ocean, which will apparently be, quote, put into practice on a multi-current and consecutive way any moment. If this wasn't more empty warmongering from the North Korean regime, and turns out to be true, by the time this podcast appears, the world could look significantly different than it does as I speak these words. 9-10 versus 9-11 different, or worse. At the very least, we're talking about a blinking contest between two heavily armed adversaries, neither of whom has shown any aptitude for thoughtfulness, restraint, or strategic thinking. Both leaders are almost equally matched, in fact, in one area. Strength of lunacy. There's no way of knowing exactly where all this will lead. Who will strike first, if at all? Will cooler heads win the day? Or will Trump continue to bungle and botch his way through this crisis with the same flailing eternal now blurts as usual? If we emerge from this standoff with North Korea unscathed, voters have an old lesson to learn one more time. We need to take Election Day decisions a little more seriously in the future so we never again confront a nuclear-capable enemy with a leader who's functionally illiterate and who sets his policies based on what Steve Ducey and Brian Kilmeade giggle about on Fox & Friends. Choosing national leaders isn't a game or a whimsical matter. We shouldn't be casting our votes just to troll people we don't like on Facebook. And right now, we're learning why. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News & Comment. Thank you,
0: Bob. Catch him every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show here at realmnetwork.com and I'm now proud to be one of the regular guests on that program. And as if the news couldn't get any stranger, it does. Multiple reliable sources are reporting that the US relationship with Cuba took a bizarre turn last year. A handful of US diplomats in Cuba developed severe hearing loss. It led to uh, perhaps eight of them returning to the mainland unable to finish their assignments. It led to the discovery of planted electronic devices emitting sounds not audible to the human ear but damaging to the human ear. The decimated State Department has very little to say about the incident except that it happened, that it's investigating, and that the U.S. has now expelled two Cuban diplomats from this country because of that incident. The Cuban government says it's investigating too. Jobs. Trump's biggest promise. Although a million jobs have been added since the latest inauguration, that's nearly a quarter million fewer jobs than created under President Obama in the same period last year. It is, in fact, par for the course. A million jobs have been added in every six-month period for the past several years, including the final six months of Obama's tenure. Although the record-breaking rise of the stock market can be attributed to Trump and the Republican promise to deregulate, experts say the groundwork for this brighter economy was laid in the Obama administration, and Trump's precious stock market fell after his reckless remarks about nuking North Korea. And when it comes to handing out jobs in the government, Trump lags far behind all his predecessors. At 123 days in office, Trump has only filled about one in five of the jobs considered essential to the executive branch. By now, Obama had 433 nominations and 310 confirmations. Trump has nominated 277 people, eight of whom have withdrawn, got 124 confirmed, about a third of Obama's number at this point. George W. Bush's number is about the same as Obama's. Clinton had twice as many confirmations as Trump by this time. While his three predecessors were nearly three quarters finished by now, Trump lags behind at staffing of under 50 percent. The Trump Republican effort to repeal and replace Obamacare appears dead for now, and the Affordable Care Act, after seven years of Republican threats, remains the law of the land, But the Republican desire to gut Obamacare remains, and Trump now seems bent on not just letting it fail, but making it fail. I said from the beginning, crowed Trump after the latest Republican failure to repeal, let Obamacare implode and then do it. I turned out to be right. But from the executive branch, Trump has talked about cutting subsidies that make Obamacare affordable, and that instability and uncertainty created by Republican repeal efforts have caused the marketplace to shrink dramatically. And although some Republicans have expressed an openness to a bipartisan fix, the Republican Congress is also still in a position to cut funding for Obamacare. The desire to take insurance away from Americans and to give tax cuts to the rich continues. House Speaker Paul Ryan wants to move on with tax reform, which, if Republicans try to go it alone as they did with Obamacare, will also fail. Senate Leader Mitch McConnell has said it's time to move on. But the desire is still there. A new study from the Kaiser Foundation says uncertainty in the healthcare care marketplace caused by the mixed messages from Trump will drive up insurance costs for 10 million people by an average of 10 percent. For what it's worth, there is now a bipartisan effort to fix Obamacare's flaws instead of repealing and replacing it. Next month, lawmakers will be asked to consider this two-party solution that addresses the shrinking marketplace and the high premiums while giving Republicans exemptions for small businesses and allowing Trump's plan to let us buy insurance across state lines to increase choice and competition. The United States Army had been using off-the-shelf Chinese-made drones in some of its work. Had been are the key words. U.S. intelligence has determined that those Chinese drones are vulnerable to cyber mischief and has ordered the drones turned off by the U.S. military To have their batteries removed and their storage drives removed. That is all, soldier. Carry on. For the record, with American optimism low, China is now the most optimistic country on the planet. A new survey shows that 87% of the Chinese people believe their country is on the right track. 27 countries were surveyed. In seven of those countries, more than half the population was positive about the paths of their countries. 74% optimism in India, 71% in Saudi Arabia, 66% in South Korea. Russia and Serbia were at 57 and 51%, respectively. The U.S. ranked 10th, with only 43% of the population having a positive outlook. The Western world in general was not especially optimistic. But at the bottom of that list of 27, Mexico where only 8% of the people think that country is on the right path. Here in the U.S. and in Canada, where optimism's at 58%, things could be better. Or, as in the case of Mexico, they could be worse. Both sides are digging in on the fight over sanctuary cities. The ramp-up started a week ago when Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that his Justice Department would withhold grants from cities that refuse to help Homeland Security deport people Sessions said sanctuary cities endanger the safety of the public and police. He anecdotally cited one horrific case but didn't offer any numbers. Statistics still show undocumented Americans commit fewer crimes per capita than do natural-born citizens. Earlier in the year, the Trump government put on notice a dozen cities and counties and the entire California Corrections Department that they would be blacklisted from federal grants that help fund their police forces if they didn't start helping to round up undocumented people. Now that warning's gotten more specific, that grants will be denied for not notifying immigration within 24 hours of even one undocumented prisoner. The governors of New York and California are pushing back, and Chicago is now suing Jeff Sessions and the Trump Justice Department for making this threat. One of the grants is named after former Chicago Mayor Jane Byrne, who is deceased. Chicago was using that money to buy radios, tasers, cars, and SWAT equipment. With the support of Governor Jerry Brown, California says it will sue as well. Other places are expected to follow suit. And most police do not like the immigrant purge because it has meant fewer undocumented people are reporting crimes for fear that they too will be deported. But the Trump administration is forging ahead with deportations already up by a third. Sessions is planning to cut immigration in half and requiring those coming into the U.S. to speak English and to be skilled workers. There's been a sharp drop in border crossings at the line that divides the U.S. and Mexico. But because of the heat, the number of those who've died trying is also up. It is at the border where Trump wants to build a see-through, solar-power-generating, immigrant-blocking wall that will but won't be financed by Mexico. The White House says Trump was joking, again, when he told police last week to be less nice to their suspects and to stop covering suspects' heads when they're lowered into a squad car, indicating it's okay to bash a few heads. Some of the cops in the crowd on Long Island responded favorably, but most police and most police officials were appalled and have pushed back. The vast majority of law enforcement personnel immediately condemned Trump's comments, a few chiefs saying they'd be fired for saying such a thing. Even the police department that hosted him quickly condemned the statement saying it sends the wrong message. The LAPD said it was wrong to say even as a joke. It was the Boy Scout jamboree all over again, but with cops. Five members of the U.S. military Who are transgenders are suing Trump for his Twitter directive to ban them and all transgenders from serving. The plaintiffs say they and their careers have already been harmed by Trump's instructions, even though military leaders have said there is no ban until they get an official order in writing, which hasn't happened yet. The transgender soldiers say such an order violates their rights to due process under the Constitution's Fifth Amendment. The suing military members representing the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and the Army have a combined 60 years of service. And when it comes to civil rights, the Trump administration is turning around government policy by 180 degrees. After allowing the degradation of voting rights and the direct denial of gay rights, the Trump administration has moved on to affirmative action. Trump Attorney General Jeff Sessions is threatening to sue colleges and universities whose affirmative action programs are deemed to discriminate against white people. Many of the career lawyers in the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division are not too keen on this plan and have made themselves unavailable to carry out Sessions' order. So the administration is now seeking outside lawyers at taxpayers' expense to file those lawsuits. There's a shocking new government report that says climate change is already having a significant effect on many parts of the U.S. The report says the warming of the planet has been caused by greenhouse gases produced by the machines of mankind. Most shocking of all is that government scientists leaked that report to the New York Times, fearful that the Trump administration would bury or try to change these findings, which contradict the Trump administration's refusal to acknowledge man-made climate change. Now, to admit there is such a thing would put a damper on Trump's plans to expand the fossil fuel industry, especially oil and coal, when wind and solar are the order of the day. The report that will now not be buried was written by scientists from more than a dozen federal agencies, including NASA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, several colleges, and the White House's own Office of Science and Technology Policy The new report says human activity over the past 40 years is the primary cause of the drastic rise in our country's average temperature. Trump has called climate change a hoax, ordering up oil wells and coal mines while his administration kept this report under wraps for a month. Concerned scientists and journalists have brought that report out into the light of day. We were warned we were warned that if the average temperature of the planet increased by just two degrees, bad things would happen. Lasting change for the worse. Consequential melting of polar ice, raising the sea levels to threaten towns along many coasts. Not to mention droughts, heat waves, extreme weather of all kinds, and more pollen to aggravate our allergies. And not to mention rising seas that threaten cities along the U.S. Atlantic coast from Cape Hatteras to Miami. We have now learned that scientists project a 90% chance we won't be able to prevent that two-degree rise. In fact, they say we could be up by nearly five degrees by the end of this century. There's only a five percent chance we can keep the rise to less than two degrees, the threshold at which scientists have been predicting mass disaster. The Paris Climate Accord, rejected by Trump but embraced by the rest of the world, goes a long way towards slowing climate change. Some cities and states and companies have announced they'll stick with the accord even if the U.S. government does not. Lawmakers in other states and cities would like to do the same, but they don't always know how. Arnold Schwarzenegger to the rescue. Don't chuckle. There's a Schwarzenegger Institute at the University of Southern California, and it's working with a nationwide council of environmental lawmakers to share this how-to knowledge. States and cities that want to continue fighting climate change can, if they wish, copy and paste the laws in the most progressive cities and states from Arnold's Institute database. A career Republican, Schwarzenegger's Institute, says he's, quote, long insisted that voters aren't interested in Republican air or Democrat air, but simply want clean air. The Trump administration has now officially notified the United Nations that the U.S. government is pulling out of the climate accord. The U.S. government, maybe, but not the U.S. city by city. And say what it will, the Trump administration cannot change the deal signed by the U.S. that no country can announce its intention to withdraw until November 2019 and that that notice must come a full year before the actual withdrawal. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, by the way, is predicting that this year's hurricane season, which begins next month, will be more active than expected more active than it's been in seven years. A 100 guns in a week. That's about how many the TSA confiscated from passengers boarding flights in the U.S. in the last week of July. And that's a record, 96 guns in a week, 85 of them loaded, more than two dozen with a round in the firing chamber. Responsible Gun Ownership. Is it because more people are carrying guns? Well, yes, but more than that, much more than that, says the TSA, is that the number of people flying is up. They just happen to bring their guns with them, as always. The most guns were nabbed in Atlanta, which collected 10 in a week. But TSA also found an inert hand grenade inside a shoe. Quoting a TSA official, we don't know. Anything resembling a grenade is prohibited. Seems fair. Live video streaming could change the face of politics. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker went live on Facebook to announce he's introduced a bill to legalize marijuana nationwide and to remove it from the list of hard narcotics. And although the bill hasn't been given much chance of success, live video streaming on social media could definitely affect votes in Congress since over 120,000 people watched Congressman Booker's announcement live. He's not the first, nor will he be the last. Over a million people tuned in live or later when Booker and Congressman John Lewis chatted for hours about why the Republican repeal and replace Obamacare plan was terrible and what might be better. Elizabeth Warren live streamed just outside the Senate chambers after she'd been shut down while trying to read a letter from Coretta Scott King about Jeff Sessions. But Utah Senator Mike Lee was one of the first when he urged Trump to drop out of the race last fall after the audio of Trump saying he liked to grab women by the genitals. Live streaming is changing politics instantly. Marijuana's California Green Rush, the funniest words, Glenn Campbell, David Letterman, and Roseanne, a faith in mankind story, and more goats in the third and final segment up next. I so appreciate the support that you've shown for this free and independent newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible, including back to school shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You land right on your very own Amazon page and get the same great prices. If you believe in what we're doing here, it's very important that you go to buzzburbank.com, click on the Amazon link and bookmark the page to make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link even once, help sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door and in two days or less for Prime members. That's especially handy for last-minute back-to-school shopping. Plus, you get Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership, along with music, books, and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shop through my link, again, thank you. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. Not surprisingly, we're drinking more these days on our way to doubling alcoholism. Alcohol use disorder, as it's now called, has risen from about 18 million people in 2002 to 30 million people in 2013. That's an 8.5% increase in 11 years. Drinking in general is up, with alcohol use climbing from 65% to nearly 73. High-risk drinking, binging, or just heavy drinking, is up from 20 to 30 million people. The experts suppose it's gotten away from us with the recent and justified focus on the opioid epidemic. The tiny town of Nipton, California, was established during the gold rush in the mid-1800s, it now sits on a new frontier, the green rush of marijuana. American Green Incorporated, one of the biggest cannabis companies in the U.S., has now purchased that historic town for about $5 million. It plans to spend another $2.5 million fixing up the place, more infrastructure, and expanded solar power to fuel the marijuana industry and what the company calls a marijuana mecca. There's already a school, a general store, a hotel and a mineral bath for those so inclined. The town will have its laws or rules, but they won't restrict the growing, handling or consumption of weed, which is now recreationally legal in the Golden State. Quoting a spokesman, if you're outside on your porch, you will not have to worry about the local constabulary swinging by to give you a ticket. It will, he says, be cannabis friendly first. They'll even put it in the water the part that doesn't get you high at least, with a plan to offer bottled water infused with CBD and CBD in some of the mineral baths as well. There'll be cannabis stores and an active art community, says American Green. The gold rush built this city, says the project manager, adding the green rush can keep it moving. Even Attorney General Jeff Sessions cracked down on marijuana users, medical marijuana and legal weed across the country. In spite of all that, times have changed anyway no man, no set of laws can turn back the hands of the clock. Fast fact, New Hampshire has become the fourth state to offer free community college tuition. New Hampshire joins New York, Tennessee, and Oregon in that leadership. Some guys have all the luck. Some guys have a system. Massachusetts has more repeat lottery winners than any other state in the union, and some people think that's more than just a coincidence. Granted, some of these repeat winners buy up winning tickets the owner doesn't want, since it would mean paying taxes or child support or other debts the winners would rather not disturb. The buyers of winning tickets are known as 10 percenters, since that's the cut they take before handing the rest of the cash off to the actual winner. Massachusetts lottery officials do keep a list of the people who've won 20 grand or more in 20 or more wins And they share that list with police and the IRS. At least 50 Bay Staters made the list last year. Again, more than any other state. Here comes the crackdown. Starting in October, the Mass Lottery will freeze payments to anyone who claims six or more prizes worth a thousand bucks or more in a single year. First offenders will be banned from claiming any prizes for 30 days. Second timers will be banned for 180 days. Three or more. 365 days. The Massachusetts lottery is now focused on getting back its credibility. NASA has a planetary protection officer, or at least it did. The newly vacated position has yet to be filled, and the Planetary Science Division is looking for the right stuff. So a young man in New Jersey stepped up when he saw the opening, which pays around $150,000 a year. Jack Davis wrote, I may be nine but I think I would be fit for the job. One of the reasons is my sister says I am an alien. Also, I have seen almost all the space movies and alien movies I can see. Jack wrote that he hopes to expand his knowledge of space by watching Men in Black. I am young, he wrote, so I think I can learn to think like an alien. He described himself as a guardian of the galaxy and that he's proficient at video games. The head of NASA's Planetary Science Division wrote back a very nice letter and also explained that the real purpose of the job is to protect the Earth from tiny microbes that may come back on samples from asteroids, the Moon, and Mars, and to keep us from tracking our Earth microbes all over another planet as well. It's already a bit of a problem. The International Space Station is loaded with microbes of all kinds. But the science guy wrote back to young Jack to say there would be job openings in the future, reminding him to study hard and do well in school and adding, we hope to see you here at NASA one of these days. But Jack Davis is ready now to boldly go where no fourth grader has gone before. It was a high school student who invented a new water filter that removes lead and 99% of all heavy metal contaminants. He came up with it after learning about the lack of clean water in India. The filter can be cleaned with vinegar and reused, and vinegar exists in every culture on earth, in every village on earth. Now an undergrad at Stanford, his findings published by Scientific Reports, teenager Perry Alagapan is now working with researchers at Rice University on perfecting that filter. Entertainment news. Singer Glenn Campbell died this week from Alzheimer's at the age of 81. Campbell had hits in both pop and country. Quoting Campbell, I like good songs. He would later be known as the Wichita Lineman and the Rhinestone Cowboy. Also worth noting, gentle on my mind by the time I get to Phoenix, Southern Nights, Dreams of the Everyday Housewife, and Galveston. He'd played guitar on the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations and Help Miranda, Elvis's Viva Las Vegas, and hundreds of others, as part of a band of studio musicians known as The Wrecking Crew. Glenn Campbell was a beach boy for six months while Brian Wilson was in his room, and Campbell had the unenviable job of opening for The Doors, just him and his guitar, before a crowd of people who wanted to see Jim Morrison instead. Glenn Campbell appeared on radio, TV, and in movies. His variety series, The Good Time Hour, was a bigger hit than CBS expected, after the Smothers Brothers chose it as a summer replacement. But mainly, Glenn Campbell was a musician who didn't read music. He was a boy from Arkansas who just played it by ear. David Letterman's coming out of retirement. Starting next year, he'll do a one-hour series for Netflix featuring in-depth interviews and field segments. Quoting Letterman, Here's what I've learned. If you retire to spend more time with your family, check with your family first. Letterman is the longest-performing host in late-night television in this country, 33 years not counting the old NBC show. Quoting the program chief at Netflix, we'll have to see if he keeps the beard. Another Fox News Channel personality has been yanked off the air after more accusations of sexual harassment at a network that allowed that culture for years. Eric Bolling's been suspended after he'd reportedly sent photos of his penis to at least two colleagues at the Fox Business Channel and another at Fox News itself. The charges have been corroborated by at least a dozen sources, but Bowling's lawyer says his client recalls no such communications. Bowling is married and a vocal supporter of Trump. Fox News chairman Roger Ailes resigned last year after he was accused of sexual harassment, and longtime anchor Bill O'Reilly was forced out after multiple sexual harassment lawsuits. Fox business host Charles Payne has been suspended for more than a month after similar allegations against him the vice president of Fox News, has also been turned out because of the network's culture of sexual harassment. ABC says the cancellation of the Tim Allen sitcom Last Man Standing was not connected to his conservative politics. Allen had said he was stunned and blindsided by the decision, even though the show had been on six seasons and ultimately relegated to Friday night. The show may be picked up by Country Music Network CMT. ABC also says that Johnny Galecki, about to start his 11th season of The Big Bang Theory, may join the rest of the cast in the upcoming revival of the sitcom Roseanne. The network is courting that last holdout. Roseanne Barr, John Goodman, Laurie Metcalf, Michael Fishman, and both Beckys are on board already. And contrary to the original series finale, Dan Connor is alive. The new version of Will and Grace hasn't even begun, and NBC's already ordered a second season. The reunion series that starts September 28th is only four episodes long, but a full season will follow in 2018. On Netflix, the fifth season of Arrested Development starts production next month. The Dark Tower was the top movie last weekend with about $20 million. Dunkirk was second after being the top movie the week before. Wonder Woman 2 is due out in 2019 what are the funniest words in the English language? Not just how they're used, but the words themselves. Well, there's a universal answer, but it really depends on who you are. Men find sexual-sounding words funny. They also like the words corn and raccoon. Women think mama is funny, along with the word sod. Young adults giggle at words like goatee, gangster, and joint. The over-55 crowd laughs at the words jingle and pong. And then there are the words nearly all of us find funny. Booty is number one, followed by tit, hooter, twit, waddle, tinkle, bebop, egghead, ass, and twerp. Comedy writers from Charles Dickens to W.C. Fields and countless others have long known that words and names can make everything funnier. Now armed with that knowledge, go ye forth into the world and masticate. It was around 11 p.m. when Ashley Schaefer of Flint, Michigan, ordered a pizza from Domino's. Using the Domino's app, she saw that the pizza had left the store at 11.24 p.m. And then an hour passed, with no pizza at her door. Ashley was not happy and was about to call Domino's and give them a piece of her mind when there was a knock at the door. It was the Domino's manager, worried about his driver. Meanwhile, the driver, young Benjamin Houston, was going door to door a mile away, holding Ashley's pizza and asking for some help since his car had broken down and his cell phone wasn't working either. Most people turned him away, some simply by saying they hadn't ordered a pizza and closing their doors. But finally, one person believed Ben and called Domino's, which is why the manager was now standing at hungry Ashley's door. He was worried about Ben, who was having car trouble and phone trouble and worried that Ben might not be able to get the help that he'd need since Ben is deaf. Ben was walking. Even though that last person had offered to arrange a ride for him, Ben decided to hoof it to Ashley's place, pizza in hand. By 1 a.m., Ben was at her door apologizing profusely. Ashley told him it was no problem at all, gave him a big tip and said that what he had done had restored her faith in humanity and then Ashley started a GoFundMe page, which raised $3,000 to get Ben's car fixed and his phone. It's not often we hear a story about a hero, much less three of them. In Montgomery County, Texas, the sheriff has put up signs along the local bridges that read no diving, no swimming. He's even gated off the walkways to try to discourage those darn teenagers from jumping off the bridges. The sheriff's also stepped up patrols at the bridges. Neighbors say it's an even worse problem than the sheriff knows that about 10 kids have been jumping regularly from the bridges of Montgomery County. Luckily, no one's gotten hurt, but the sheriff believes that if the bridge dives continue, somebody will. Quoting a captain, you break a bone or you drown and all that fun is gone. This is truly dangerous behavior, he says, adding this is just not what you should be doing. The captain recommends a swimming pool diving board instead, or quoting him, go play Xbox. But we have also learned that what Mom asked rings true. If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? A British man wanted for assault turned himself in to police. He says he surrendered to get the South Wales PD to take down his unflattering mugshot from Facebook. The media stories about the incident made the photo even more widely seen than it would have been on just one Facebook page. And finally, I reported recently about a labor dispute at a university over the use of goats to replace human-operated lawnmowers. Quoting police in Warwick, Rhode Island, goatscaping is a trending fad that has recently replaced yoga and inline skating. Unfortunately, more often than their human counterparts, goats wander off. And a landscaping goat in Rhode Island did just that. The owners say the goat answers to the name Sammy or Frank goats are apparently less concerned with labels than we are. Anyone spotting a goat is encouraged to call police with its whereabouts. After it's finished with the lawn, of course. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank News and Comment.